Romans 10.13 starts off by saying, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's an absolute promise. It's a reality. It's truth. And I'm thankful that I know personally so many of you who have believed that at some point in your life, called on that name, and you received the salvation promised. But there are still so many people who have yet to do exactly that, to call on the name and the source of salvation, the only name and the only source of salvation. The rest of the passage continues with a really, really important question and series of considerations. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We have the privilege of continuing to support the Krauss family, long, long time partners in the gospel ministry. Uh, in fact, we were the sending church for the Krauss family uh, many years ago, right, Aaron? Uh, and for those of you who continue to follow this precious family and the work of God in and through their lives, uh, I know that you have continually been blessed and encouraged as you see what God is doing through them, through their faithfulness. Uh, And as you're going to hear in just a second, they give all glory to God, and we want to do the same. And we are just so thankful you guys are with us. Aaron, come on up and share with us an update on what God's doing through your ministry and from the Word of God itself. Thanks, brother. Thank you so much, Pastor Chris. Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you all this morning. Um, And we are going to be looking at the book of 3rd. John, we're going to be talking about partnering with God if missionaries could talk. Well, we're the Krauss family. Um, Teresa and I have been married 16 years. Levi's 15. Moses is 13. Abby is 11. And Job is almost 10. He'll be 10 next month. God has caused a lot to happen in our ministry since this church commissioned us to join Word of Life Evangelism Ministries back in 2013. So we've been um, uh, with Word of Life for eight years. Back then it was called Word of Life Open Air Evangelism. Uh, We've recently changed the name. And if you're wondering what in the world it is that we do, we train churches how to tell people about Jesus, and we take them out on the streets to tell people about Jesus. That's essentially what we eat, sleep, and breathe. Um, In fact, we've shared a gospel in uh, Michigan, in places like Detroit and Grand Rapids. We've shared a gospel in Chicago um, and Cicero and Joliet, Illinois. We've shared a gospel in places like Peru, Indiana, and Columbus, Ohio. We've shared a gospel in places in Pennsylvania, such as Philadelphia, Upper Darby, and other places like that. We've shared a gospel in New York City, um, also Schenectady, Saratoga, and um, 
Albany. We've also shared a gospel in Ocean City in Atlantic City, New Jersey, and uh, Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, we went on Penn and North, the same streets where some of the riots went down, uh, if you recall, with uh, the situation with Freddie Gray. Um, and then also, uh, we've shared a gospel in Charleston, West Virginia, and Charleston, South Carolina, Clearwater, uh, Florida, and Hamilton, Ontario, in Canada, and also uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas. And the Lord has also allowed us to share the gospel in Jamaica and Kenya, Africa as well, and recently in uh, Lexington, North Carolina. And so by God's grace, we've trained at least 24 churches plus Christian schools and all kinds of Word of Life Bible Institute students. And um, this does not include the many times I've filled the pulpit, spoken at funerals or nursing homes, or just shared our ministry at different churches, and even spoken at Appalachian, or if you're from Michigan like I is, uh, Appalachian Bible College. Um, And then also Levi, when he turned 13 years old, he spent the whole summer with me. Wherever I went, he went. So whatever street corner I preached, he preached. And Moses just had the same privilege and opportunity this uh, past summer to do the same. Um, And so it's encouraging when you think about it. Uh, If you consider only five out of the eight years of full-time ministry, uh, from January 2016 to January of this year, by God's grace, the Lord has allowed us to preach at least 770 sketch messages on the streets publicly. And also, we've been able to share the gospel with over 4,690 people. And we've seen 340 souls make professions of faith. That's just in five years. Um, Not only that, um, this does not include uh, the times we've worked with Word of Life Bible Institute students um, over those same five years. And that's when we've worked with hundreds of students. And usually we'd reach like a thousand souls each time we worked with those students. So God has been at work. Uh, And it also doesn't include this past summer when Moses... Uh, spent with me uh, in different places. Uh, We were able to share the gospel with 667 people and see 16 souls make professions of faith. Um, Also, because of the great pandemic, God has allowed me to develop a website for our department, makingmessengers.com. It's a website uh, to get people who are on the streets connected into God's word and also connected with churches in their area. And it's also a tool that you could use as you're discipling people that you know as well. Also, after we came on in 2013, then in 2014, God allowed me to be ordained. I had the privilege of baptizing my mother and Levi that same day, and then also the other three children as well. Um, and what's really encouraging to me, the gentleman that, who was the best man in my wedding, Ahmad, um, I've been able to disciple him, and he's a deacon now at our church, and he has a heart to reach his violent neighborhood with the gospel. In fact, um, I recently uh, got to hear his six-year-old daughter's testimony um, before she got baptized. It was a very solid testimony, much better than most adults, honestly. Um, so that was encouraging. But this also doesn't include all the behind-the-scenes ministry between Teresa and I and the kids pouring into other families or pastors or missionaries many times uh, in tears over the years. Um, and in addition to that, if you recall, those of you who have been praying for us, we fostered three children. Two of them were teens. All three of the children are adopted by other families now. 
the, Brian, he is um, baptized, and he's actually wanting to go to Bible school and do what I do. Zach is also baptized and recently reconnected with us, wanting to attend our church. Uh, so God is gracious there. Um, basically, we've been, uh, we are at 100% support. We've been fully funded, and we have a reliable ministry vehicle. On my off time, I'm currently serving as an unpaid elder, discipling other elders and church members at our church, not to mention what Teresa does uh, with the women and children as well. When I say my cup is filled with the blessing of serving God in this way and that I don't deserve this, I mean it. What a privilege and a blessing to be used by God in uh, such a small way. Praise God for his work through his people. Look what God did through your prayers and support these past eight years. And we're just one missionary family that you support. Think about that. Now, let's get into the text of Scripture. If you would, please uh, turn in your Bibles to 3 John. We're going to look at the testimony of deliberate missionary partnerships. The letter of 3 John asks the question, how will you partner with God in getting the gospel out to the lost? This message isn't about uh, delinquent uh, missionaries who shouldn't be supported because of their laziness and greediness. Like uh, Romans 2.24 comes to mind for as it is written, the name of God is blaspheme among the Gentiles because of you. No, that's not what this message will be about. This message is going to be about how Christians individually and our churches corporately uh, should partner with God by partnering with missionaries who God has called to do his work. Our partnership with missionaries testifies to the truthfulness of the gospel. Um, If you would, uh, in verses 1 through 4, we're going to see the foundation of missionary partnerships. John begins his letter in verse 1. It says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, speak to us through your word. May your word open us up to your spirit, applying the truths to our lives. May we submit to it. May we be radically changed from the inside out. And may many come to you in saving faith as a result of your work in our hearts and lives. We ask God that uh, you would help us to be focused and clear as we get into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see, it says, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. We see in verse 1, we see a strong recommendation. John is recommending traveling missionary teachers uh, to Gaius. And John's recommendation matters because he's an apostle and a fellow elder. And he personally invested in Gaius. A question I have for you today is what kind of weight does your recommendation carry because of your reputation? Elders, what leaders from other churches are you building relationships with? And next we see in verses 2 through 4 that John commends Gaius' testimony. Look at verse 2. It says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. We see a strong inspiration. John wishes the beloved Gaius that all will go well with Gaius, that Gaius has good health as he is already doing spiritually well. John is inspired by Gaius' testimony. It reminds me of Philemon 1.7, which says, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. 
Here's a question I have for you this morning. Who is inspired by your testimony? What leaders from other churches do you pray for? Now, in verses 3 and 4, we're going to see a strong validation. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. It says, For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. See, John was so overjoyed when he heard that Gaius was truly living in obedience to the truth that John rejoices and has no greater joy than to hear that his son in the faith, Gaius, is walking in the truth. Do you rejoice when a believer has a good testimony? Parents, do you rejoice more over the spiritual accomplishments of your children than you do their physical or temporal accomplishments? Proverbs 23, 24 says, The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Children, what are you accomplishing that would cause your parents to rejoice over you? Church, what are you accomplishing that is causing your elders to rejoice over you? See, it says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Have you spiritually fathered someone in the gospel? 1 Corinthians four fifteen reminds us of that. Is your greatest joy the same as John's greatest joy? If not, why not? Now, let's drop down to verse 7. I want to show you something else that we need for a foundation of uh, deliberate missionary partnerships. In verse 7, it says, For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. We see a strong vocation in verse 7. The recommended missionaries went out for the sake of the name of Jesus because they had a strong calling. They saw Christ's name was not being magnified among the lost, and they wanted to help. Listen carefully as I say this. God doesn't need missionaries. But the missionaries that God is calling feel that they need to answer God's call. Is God calling you to do the same? Are you dragging your feet? What would it take for you to obey and to answer his calling on your life? John has a strong relationship with Gaius because he possibly discipled him. Gaius has a testimony that is inspiring, consistent, and brings great joy to John. John has heard about Gaius's good testimony from godly missionaries. Now, John is recommending more missionaries to Gaius, even though Gaius hadn't even met them yet. We see that the foundation of deliberate missionary partnerships is a strong recommendation from an elder of a church to another elder of a different church. And that elder has received a strong validation from traveling missionaries. The missionaries we should consider for partnership must have a strong calling to bring the gospel to the lost free of charge. Now, let's look at the demonstration of missionary partnerships. The demonstration of missionary partnerships. We see that John encourages Gaius in verses 5 through 8. Let's look at verse 5. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. We see in verse 5 a deliberate enhancement. Gaius himself 
faithfully enhances the missionaries and especially strangers of a different culture by doing a work in them. Galatians 6.10 says we're supposed to do good to all, but especially to those of the household of faith. Listen carefully as I say this. God doesn't need believers to support his missionaries. But those believers who support God's missionaries strongly want to support them. John commends Gaius for his support of missionaries. And those of you who support missionaries should be commended for it as well. So, how are you personally doing a work in traveling missionaries? Especially those who don't look like you. Let's look at verse 6. He says, in the beginning of verse 6, talking about these traveling missionary teachers, he says, who testified to your love before the church. See, we see a thoughtful endorsement. The traveling missionaries stood in front of another church and testified to Gaius' loving hospitality. See, it reminds me of 2 Corinthians 9 where it talks about the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Which missionary would testify to your loving hospitality? Are missionaries bragging to other churches about your church's loving hospitality? What is your personal reputation for partnering with and hosting missionaries? These are the questions that are arising from 3 John. Let's look at verse 6. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. See, we see a purposeful advancement in verse 6. John tells Gaius that he would do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. John says that we should host missionaries in the same way that we would host Jesus. In fact, if you know your Bible, in Luke 8, Jesus was supported by women who traveled with him and the apostles as they preached and healed people. Do you and your family have skin in the game when it comes to partnering with missionaries? Titus 3.13 says, Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. How are you ensuring that missionaries have what they need for their next mission? Let's look at verse 7 again. He says, For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. We see a conscious acknowledgement. They went out for the sake of Christ, not for the money. Why? What was the message they were declaring? They were declaring that God is holy. It says in 1 Samuel 2, 2, indeed, there's no rock like our God. There is none holy beside the Lord. That means God is completely set apart from anything unclean, evil, or common. He's pure. He's good. You and I are born sinners. We're born with hearts opposed to God. We go our own way doing our own thing. As it says in Romans five twelve. therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. You and I come into this world alienated from God on our way to the lake of fire. Our goose is already cooked. We're just not in the flames yet. And we're destined to be separated from him forever. 
But the good news is God didn't leave us in that situation. The same God that created us in his image to know him and to enjoy him forever is the same God that became a man. And that's why the Bible says, for I delivered unto you as the first of all what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. See, God became a man. His name is Jesus. He lived a perfect life for you and I. He never sinned, not one time. He was nailed to the cross. He took what was causing our death and he placed it upon Upon himself. He shed his blood because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission or forgiveness. He died our death for us. He died in our place, was buried in a grave, and three days later, he rose from the grave. And that's why Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. The only way for you and I to be put into a right standing with God is through the Lord Jesus Christ, because he's the only one who lived a perfect life for us. He's the only one who died our death for us, and he's the only one who was raised from the grave three days later for us. And that's why it says in John three thirty six. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That means God loved us so much he sent his Son to die for us and rise again. And if you believe he died for you and rose again, then God's wrath no longer remains on you. But if you don't believe, you have a hit out on you and one day it'll drop. My question for you today is what's keeping you from believing that gospel message today? But you think about how good that news is. Who in their right mind would want to charge someone to tell them about that? See, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 13, For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Listen carefully. If God is calling you to preach the gospel full time, you can't use your needs as an excuse to delay. 1 Corinthians 9.14 is a verse you should memorize if God is calling you. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Put your hand to the plow and never look back. 2 Corinthians 8 reminds us they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. We should be begging to partner in God's work. 2 Corinthians 11, 7 through 9, Paul reported that he used financial support from other churches so that he could give the gospel to the Corinthian church for free. Do missionaries have to rob churches to serve us because we are so stingy? Let's look at verse 8. Verse 8, it says, Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. We see in verse 8 a planned investment. Because their traveling missionaries went out for Christ's sake without charge, John says we Christians owe missionaries like these. It says in 1 Corinthians 16.10, Paul says, When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. We should take them on so that we are co-workers in the truth of the gospel. In fact, 1 John 3.18 reminds us, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed And in truth, who do you owe that went out for the sake of the gospel? How have you yourself partnered with God in getting the gospel out to foreigners? So we see that the demonstration of intentional missionary partnerships is that we deliberately enhance full-time missionary teachers. We enhance them spiritually, physically, and financially. We owe it to them to purposely advance them on their next mission because we consciously acknowledge that they intentionally went out free of charge for the sake of Christ. We look at the partnership as a planned investment in the gospel. 
If we do it well, then we will have a thoughtful endorsement by missionaries to other churches for us to host more missionaries. That's the goal, right? To get the gospel out. That's why we're here. Now, we are going to look at the question. If this is what we're supposed to be doing, every disciple making disciples every day, why does that sometimes not happen? Where is the breakdown? Well, let's look at the distraction of missionary partnerships. See, we see that John condemns Diotrephes' hostility in verses 9 and 10. Let's look at verse 9. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. We see in verse 9 a disqualified leader. John wrote the church, but Diotrephes, whose name means fed by Zeus, the first place lover, didn't accept John and the other leaders. You remember of Titus 1, for an overseer must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. 1 Peter 5.3 reminds us, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Basically, according to verse 9, Diotrephes was disqualified from leadership. Do you love to be first? Or do you serve expecting nothing in return? Jesus calls us to be last and a servant. When an elder or a pastor gives you counsel that is consistent with the Bible, do you welcome it or outright reject it? Let's look at verse 10. He says in verse 10, So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. In the beginning of verse 10, we see a damaging leader. John will bring to mind his deeds, such as unjustly accusing John and his companions of wickedness. How does an elder respond to false accusations from another elder? 1 Timothy 5.19 reminds us, Do not admit a charge against an elder, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Luke 6.22 says, Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Are you open to being humbled, or do you hold your position tightly? Proverbs 18, 1 and 2 reminds us, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. That's heavy. If you don't feel convicted, perhaps you need to wake up. I'm just kidding. Uh, in verse 10, uh, the last part of verse 10, it says, And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Diotrephes finds satisfaction not only in rejecting the traveling teachers. That's not enough for him. No, he was forbidding others from hosting them, and he even throws the church members out of the church for hosting missionaries. The gall, the nerve. What is your reputation as a leader? Do you love the limelight? Do your uh, wife and children walk on eggshells around you? Do the people you are leading have the freedom to disagree with you? When was the last time that you acknowledged that you were wrong or let someone else do the job for you? Proverbs 26, 12 says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And if you think about what verses 9 and 10 are communicating to us, we see distracted leaders. Elders must deal with the problem of a diatrophies or work around the problem, and thus the church never reaches its full potential until the diatrophies is dealt with. 
What's more important to you, having your way or Christ having his way in this church? We see what distracts us from focused missionary partnerships is the diatrophies. When we have someone in leadership who loves to always be right, always in control, always seen as the final authority, then gospel advancing ministry will fall by the wayside unless the missionaries are his personal friends. In other words, for missionary partnerships to thrive, we must have no church leaders who love control, who love to be served, who love money, or who love to be the final authority. We must cultivate a church culture of freedom, respect, a love for truth, a love for God, believers and unbelievers, a zeal for humble behind-the-scenes service. We must be willing to embrace missionaries with ministries that are foreign to us, but not foreign to the Bible. In verses 11 and 12, we will look at the imitation of missionary partnerships. We see in verse 11 that John commands Gaius' ministry. Verse 11, the beginning of it reads, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. See, we see disregarding the evildoer. Ironically, Gaius' name means Lord. John tells Gaius not to imitate evildoers because they haven't seen God. Exodus 23, 1 through 3 says, You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many who do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit, siding with the many so as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. Only do-gooders reflect God. Philippians 3, 17 through 19 reminds us to imitate people like Paul and don't imitate people that are enemies of the gospel advancing ministry. So here's some questions I have for you about that. Who are you imitating? What if the person you're imitating isn't imitating God? Do they make excuses for their ungodliness? Do they seem to only have negative things to say about other godly leaders? Would they want you to follow them even if they weren't imitating God? Is God himself a tyrant? Let's continue on in verse 11. He says in verse 11, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. So we need to be imitating the do-gooder. John says Gaius must imitate those who do good. Are you worthy of imitation? 1 Corinthians 11.1 says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. 1 Corinthians 4.16 says, I urge you, then be imitators of me. Do you want to be imitated? Why or why not? See, in verse 12, we see that John commends Demetrius' testimony. Let's look at verse 12. It says, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. We need to be the testifier. John tells Gaius that Demetrius has a good testimony from everyone, from the truth, from John and other leaders. 1 Timothy 3.7 says, He must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Who would say that you have a good testimony? Who would claim that you have a bad testimony? If you remember in 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 17, God's word gives us everything that we need so that we can have the discernment to figure out who's being the imposter and the deceiver because you know they're going to come more and more. We see that the imitation of model missionary partnerships means we must imitate godly, humble leaders of integrity. 
We must be making disciples who are making disciples so that we have people of discernment beside ourselves who can give recommendations that matter. We must become examples of hospitality so that we can host missionaries that we don't know and send out qualified leaders that we do know to be missionaries to people we don't know. Now, let's look at verses 13 through 15, and we are going to see the discussion of missionary partnerships. Uh, John ends his letter in verses 13 through 15. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. So we see in verses 13 and 14 the elephant in the room. John says that he has many things to write, Gaius, but he is unwilling to write them because it would be better to talk face to face. Do you save important conversations for private face to face, or do you run your mouth on social media or send a cheap text? Stop defrauding others. Run to your elders and pastor and talk to them privately so that you can privately process in a godly way that honors Christ and regard others as more important than yourself. Let's look at verse 15. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. In verse 15, we see the bride of the groom. John sends peace to Gaius and greetings from friends and asks Gaius to greet the friends by name. How well do you know the people at this church? Do you know their names? What about the missionaries that you support? Uh, How do you know if you're hosting somebody who's teaching falsely? How have you owned your role at this church in partnering with missionaries? So let's talk about this private discussion that um, John had with Gaius. What does he need to discuss? What do the elders and pastor at this church need to discuss among themselves uh, when they are praying about partnering with missionaries. Well, they need to deal with the Diotrephes and raise up a Demetrius. Every church will have a Diotrephes or a Demetrius at some time. Who are they here? How are you preventing them or promoting them? You need to be the Gaius. Elders, you're called to be a Gaius at this church, not the Diotrephes. How are you doing at overseeing the flock? Sending out the missionary. Is God calling you to go out for the sake of the name? Why are you holding back? Who are you sending out that has a mission so big that it will take the support of other churches? Elders, why are you holding them captive to only serving here when God wants to spread his love in them to others? How are you encouraging them to leave this church and serve elsewhere? Who needs to come here and start a great work here? Partnering with missionaries. Elders, what relationships do you have with other elders of like-minded churches? How will you know what missionaries are out there that need this church's hospitality? What ministry are you missing out on because you're playing damage control and putting out fires because of the diatrophies? How is this church partnering with God and what he's doing outside of these four walls? How is this church partnering with foreigners who come with a strong recommendation? How are each of you hosting families in your home and supporting missionaries? You should be competing with one another and seeking to outdo one another in love. I want to take a moment and uh, express my gratitude to Faith Baptist Church and the individuals here that support us financially. Your prayers have been felt and God has been at work because of your partnership in our ministry. Let me wrap up quickly with a few suggested applications of 3 John. Pray for pastors to thrive vocationally, spiritually, and physically. Rejoice when a brother obeys. Remind yourself and others that they're loved by God and send missionaries on their way fully equipped to complete their next mission. Don't accept money from unbelievers you're ministering to. 
and love to be last and maintain a testimony worthy of imitation. And I want to give you some ideas and examples of how an individual can partner with missionaries. Sign up for their newsletter. Pray for them by name. Go to their missions update in person. It's great that they went out for the sake of the Lord, but it's wonderful when the people who partner with them want to hear about it. Invite them into your home so that the kids can hear their testimonies and you can pray with them. Be like Remnant Bible Fellowship. They planned our trip. They hosted us. They went out in the streets and hit the streets with us. And they took Teresa and the kids to the Smithsonian. And that's their whole church in that picture. All right. I want to encourage you. Not only that, We've had families like the Bissells and the Hanks host us at their property and other families. And not only that, I want to encourage you to be friendly and welcoming toward their kids. Make sure your kids are friendly and welcoming to them as well. Let them pray together and play together. Let their kids be kids. Love on their kids like they were your own children and grandchildren. Like Deborah loved on Job. The picture on the right is Pastor Footman and his wife Penny carrying Abby and Job. It's important for kids to understand Christ's love for them through the church because it shows them that the church is the people who are brothers and sisters from all over the place. Write a letter of encouragement. Inquire of their spiritual walk. Give them a book for encouragement. We've had pastors, elders, deacons, women, children join us once annually, quarterly in evangelizing and discipling. It's not about money, folks. We've had different people give gifts and things like that. Basically treat them the same way you would want someone to treat you if you were a missionary. Much of what I said about how to treat missionaries could be said about your pastor and elders. In fact, we would do well to look at our pastors and elders as the domestic missionaries they are, since truly they are sent here to equip us for the work of the ministry. Imagine if this church sent one of its elders to partner with a struggling church in a nearby town so that they would be equipped for the ministry, kind of like a church plant, but not starting from scratch. So the question I leave you with this morning is the same question Third John has been asking us all along. How will you partner with God in getting the gospel out to the lost? Start praying, brainstorming, and planning this afternoon how you can partner with missionaries in the future. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to serve you in this way this morning. We ask God that your word would accomplish its purpose in the hearts of your people, that many would come to know you as Savior as a result of our time in the word this morning, and that your Son would be glorified. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.